This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Journey, journey of life, journey of life number nine. Journey of life number nine, based on Chaim Kineski Sefer Archas Yeshar. So, before we get into it, just two quick things again. Number one is if you haven't joined our WhatsApp group, we have a WhatsApp group at tinyurl.com forward slash that we have seen. It gets you updated with classes as well as books and other things that we have going on. And number two is talking about books. We have a dating book and a family purity book, both are which are restocked and available at Amazon and Feldheim.com. So with that out of the way, tonight's topic. So I would argue that perhaps tonight's topic is maybe the most important topic we've ever spoken about, um, which seems like a big buildup, but it's something which is so basic and so simple that it's something which really, I think, takes a lot of work. Um, perhaps more so today than ever else in, in history. So what is this? What is the topic? So Rechaim Kineski talks about, this is towards the end of his Sefer, the topic, the concept of Simcha Shal Mitzvah. That's the topic. It means doing something, which we are doing anyways, with a certain feeling. And the feeling is a feeling of Simcha Shal Mitzvah. Now we're all familiar, I'm sure, with the Teichacha, right? And the Pazik says in the Teichacha something which is very unique, very interesting, that all the bad things that are going to happen in the Teichacha to call Yisrael all come about because of one reason, right? What's the reason? Pazak says, It doesn't mean that you didn't serve Hashem. It means you did serve Hashem. You did everything you were supposed to do. You've checked all the boxes in Yiddishkeit. But since you didn't do it with a feeling, it was just done the way, you know, because I have to, that concept brings about destruction. That concept is the Teichacha. And therefore, one of the most important elements of life as a Yid is the concept of living truly with not just Simcha of being a Yid, which we'll talk about in a minute, the simcha of the day-to-day interactions, the things that we have to do on a day-to-day basis, that you're not approaching it with a certain attitude of, of I have to, but rather with an attitude that I want to. And we know that Yaakov Avinu, when he was mourning the fact that Yosef was not with him, he lost his Ruach HaKadosh, which is why they had to bring in Sarah Bas Asher, and she had to sing a song to him, Right, Ani, what's the song? Uh, Ani Yosef, right? What's the, what's the song? I know, I always forget. Whatever. Whatever the song is, okay? She sang that song, probably not. She sang a song, and she was able to um, bring Yaakov to a certain level of Simcha. Once he had Simcha, that was when he got his Ruach HaKadosh back. But Rechem Kenyaski brings down many Mamari Chazal, which say that that's not just the concept for Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu was on the, con- was on the level of Ruach HaKadosh. He was on the level of Nevoah. So therefore, he filled himself up with so much Kedusha that he now is able to experience things. But you should know that each and every person in our dar, that when you do a mitzvah and you, you have a certain amount of simcha, simcha attracts Kedusha. And you can bring Kedusha into your life just simply by, by being happy with the things that you have going on in your life. So that is, that is the first concept. The concept of simcha shal mitzvah is that a person, it's an attitude. The attitude is not, I have to do this. The attitude is, I want to do this. And if a person does that, he brings a chida who says that you should know that every mitzvah that you do gets you schar in the next world, but schar mitzvah bahe amaleka, there's no schar in this world. However, for the simcha of a mitzvah, that reward you get in this world. 
person literally could bring himself to like Ashiros, to, to anything you could imagine. It comes in this world just by having a different attitude. Now, why is this all so important? I think the concept is so Pashat, but it's something which maybe because of, I guess, the fact that we have so much in our lives that gets lost, is because at the end of the day, if I said to you, define religion, let's not say any religion, define Yiddishkeit, we're Jews, so let's talk about Yiddishkeit. Define Yiddishkeit, what is Yiddishkeit? It's, it's a set of rules, it's, it's, it's religion, it's a structure, it's belief. But I think that more than anything else, really based on the Gemara that talks about Hillel, when the Gera came to him, he said, I'll be Megayer if I stand on one foot. Hillel said to him that the whole Torah can be encapsulated on one phrase. What's that phrase? Whatever you don't want done to somebody else, don't do to yourself. What was he saying? Rabbi Kiva also says this, but the flip. Rabbi Kiva said the words, um, whatever, right? Love somebody else. And he's saying, whatever somebody else doesn't want, it's almost like the positive and the negative side of this relationship. But I think the key word is relationship. The end of the day, what is religion? It's a relationship. It's a relationship with your creator. It's a relationship with the Ein Saif. It's an internalization that everything that we have in our life, which is a directive from Hashem, is an opportunity for a connection to Hashem. It's almost like any relationship that you're in, whether you're a daughter, whether you're a wife, whether you're a mother, father, brother, any, any relationship that you're in, the relationship has parameters and the relationship has things that within that relationship foster greater connection within that relationship. It might be doing the dishes, it might be sweeping the floor, it might be setting the table. It, it might be anything which seems to be just mundane and physical. I'm doing this. But the reality is, is that those are the things which usually create a lot of the functionality in the relationship, as well as a lot of the emotional connection within the relationship. Oh, wow, you did that for me? And if it's done out of love, wow, you did that for me? You didn't just do it. You did that for me? You did that for us? You care about me? You're in tune to me? That fosters a greater connection within the relationship. How many people wake up in the morning as a yid and get up and say, wow, I have 613 ways to connect to Hashem today. Unbelievable. You can't do all of them, by the way. And half of them you're not supposed to do, right? <laughs> but, but let's not go there, right? But how many people get up and they go, oh my gosh, you, you, like, what, what, like, what joy? And most people get up in the morning and they go, oh, I have to die. Oh, I have to call my mother. Oh, I have to call my grandmother. It's a lot of, oh, I have to. And the concept of Simcha Shal Mitzvah is the idea that that attitude is totally trait. You might be the greatest yid on paper that you've done every single thing. You might have bought like a karka in Eretz Yisrael in order to be Mekayim, the mitzvahs, at Kaliyus Baritz. It's very nice. Like you checked off every single box, like every mitzvah I could do. Again, you can't do everyone because you're not a Kayan Levi and a Yisrael and a Ger and a Mom. So you're not everything, okay? You can only do whatever you can possibly do. But, but let's assume that you did everyone that you're able to do and you're not a man and a woman. You can't be everything. But let's assume you did everything that you possibly did as a person in your, in your life. should know that they're only really Chaviv if there's Chavivas. They're only really love if there's love. If the way that we go about them is, eh, you know, yeah, okay, then... It just loses everything. And that is the first concept. The first concept is that the definition of it is that it's done with a certain love, which I was thinking about this idea like throughout the day. And then I want to take this a little bit further. The, the step further is based on a Gemara. The Gemara says that there was a man, Rav Brina. The Gemara says that he one day got up 
and he was masmech geula letvila. And throughout the whole day, he was exceedingly happy. What does that mean? He was masmech geula letvila. What that means is, is that when he was davening, so we know we say the brach of Gal Yisrael, and then you start Shemana Esrei. That's called smichas geula letvila. So Reb Reina, who was, I'm presuming he was an Amira, he got up one day, and he was masmech geula letvila, and the whole day, he couldn't stop smiling. He had a smile on his face the entire day. Now, if you daven today, and you didn't skip much, you probably did this also. Like, what's Pshat in this Gemara? He, he did this, and he was so excited. Wow, today I did this. And I think the Pshat is, is that it really takes this concept to a deeper level, which is Rav Brayna davened a thousand times before, maybe 5,000 times before, right? So did we. We all daven every day. Rav Brayna being masmech geula letvila means that when he said the bracha of geula, he said those words. Those words were like said with a certain intention, a certain intensity, a certain recognition, a certain, my eyes are open to the concept of geula. And who is bringing this geula? Hashem. Hashem. I'm standing in front of you, Hashem, who's going to bring about geula? And I'm standing here by tefillah? Those two concepts like hit him at the same time with that like depth, he was like, I can't stop smiling. I just, I was just able to talk to Hashem, who's bringing about Geula. It just struck him like a thunderbolt. Yeah, he said the words every day. Yeah, we all say the words every day. But the fact that he was masmich on his level, Geula, and on his level, Tetzvila, and they were so close together, two like euphoric moments that took place at the same time for him, you like won the lottery and then won it again. He's like, whoa, I can't believe it. God, Yisrael, whoa. And Hashem, I'm down in in front of you, the one who's going to bring Geula. Oh my goodness. He just couldn't stop smiling. That's what says. That his smile didn't leave him all day. He just was, he was like in a state of euphoria. He was just so excited. Which, what does that mean to us? I think there's a couple levels here. The first level is that it's not just the awareness but it's also an emotion. It's the concept that we do things with emotion. It's not just a mindset, but it's the concept that what makes us excited about things? What makes most of us excited about things? Usually it's probably money, a raise, a compliment maybe, right? That's what makes most people very excited. The concept that Yiddishkeit makes you excited, the concept that a person comes on and goes, you know what I was able to do today? I was able to shake a little of an asterisk. I waited all year for this. I don't think anybody ever said that. I mean, some people did, but, you know, I don't know, maybe you guys do, you know. <laughs> Most people, they go like, ah, t- today's whatever. You know what I have to do? I have to schlep my talus and in and my lula, my esrig, my moxer. Oh, it's such a pain. I got to go to walk around the bima and seven times and the chazan schlepping. And this, right? That's how most of our brains work. All the stuff we have to do. The idea that I'm excited, I have an opportunity to do something, it fills me with simcha. This is like my value. It really, like, it's exciting to me. That concept takes work. It's not something that just inherently happens to anybody. You have to put yourself into that mindset. And I think that's, that's really the kavanah behind this Gemara. He didn't stumble upon this new chiddush called geula and tefillah. He said it every day. I say it every day. You say it every day. But I think precisely because we say it every day, 
It just becomes the way that we say it. And he stopped for a split second and was able to internalize a deeper message. And that deeper message of Geula and the deeper message of Tefillah happening concurrently, that just sent him over the moon. Our lives revolve around whether it's 24 hours or seven days a week or 30 days in a month or 365. We just go through the motions again and again and again. And a lot of time, if you want to just like understand how to do this, I think it's practically slowing down your life. Slowing down your life to the point where anything that you're doing within the construct of your life that you have to do anyways, you don't approach it as in I have to do it. You're approaching it as I want to do this. Not only do I want to do this, I'm going to take the time to study this. What is this? What is Geula? What does that look like? He didn't just run into this and go like, okay, Geula, check. Tvila, check. Said them pretty close to each other. Yeah, check, check. Check, check, check. Got 50 checks. He was like, what does Geula look like? Do you know what that meant if Mashiach came today? He like felt a certain feeling. He put himself into a certain mindset. When we're younger, I think to a degree, they try. And I'm talking like younger, like really younger, like like two, three-year-olds, right? They sing songs and they give pshatim and the lulav is like your spine and the esr gives you this, right? And I think that like we hear this so many times. We're like, okay, we get it. We know the esr is your heart and this is your lips. Stop it, right? And why do they throw the arava on top of things? We heard this shot last year. Stop saying it, right? Which like our, our understanding of Yiddishkeit, to a certain degree, it stops at such a low bar. It stops at the songs that we've been told when we're younger. It stops at the at the excitement level of a child. And then it almost becomes boring, many of these things. I would argue the way Tzniyas is taught. For most people, you hear the word Tzniyas, it's like a, you break out in hives. The way that it's taught, it, there's like n- almost no beauty behind it. It's just sort of a bunch of do's and don'ts. You could, you can't. You, you're going to burn and it's all your fault and everybody's going to Gehenim and you don't know how hot it is. Like that concept is like so not... Not Yiddish, and, of, and and I'm not, I'm not like an apologist for the Satan. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, yes, you know, like we do believe in in Skar and Einish, but the concept of doing things within our lives, we are there's an excitement to, to to live to a certain standard. There's an excitement that like you hold yourself to a certain standard that is just such a beautiful part of Yiddishkeit, and I think most people don't don't approach it like that. I would talk about relationships the same way. We, a lot of marriages are taught. Like one of my, I'm going to plant the seed and I don't care if I get in trouble for saying this, I'm going to say it anyways. Like the concept of a Kala teacher saying to Kalas, by the way, men are animals. Those words, please, if your Kala teacher says those words, which many do, please just stand up and just walk out the door. Don't even let her finish the rest of it because she's ruining you. No, she's ruining you. I've heard many Kala teachers say those words. Just stand up and walk out. You're not for me. This is just not a shadok anymore. Olive pays, right? Saying nobody wants to get married to an animal, right? I'm saying I think that's pretty simple. Also, men are not animals. We're not animals. But that's just besides the point. But the, the concept that somebody can teach something like that in our circles is like shocking. But it's true, meaning that does exist. The same way Tznias is taught the way that it's taught in so many schools. Yiddishkeit is beautiful. Relationships are beautiful. Mitzvos are beautiful. We have to feel that beauty. We have to experience that beauty. We have to study that beauty. We have to understand the depths of what's going on within 
within within what we're experiencing every day. And I think that really it, it, anybody can do this. You can literally take any mitzvah, any mitzvah, whether it's a daily mitzvah, whether it's it's something that you put your mind to, it could be a bracha, it could be a relationship, your parents or your spouse or your children, something that you you connect with this person, you're doing it anyways. You have to call this person anyways. Do a besamcha. Put a little bit of mind, like your mind to it. Like put a little emotion to it. Put a little time to it. I was once on a, on a panel with Rabbi Lebel Lamb and he said something which it totally blew my mind. It was a Shavuos program and I came out of this program and said this whole program was worth it for this one story that he said. And he said the story so simply, and it, it totally blew my mind. He said that he went to Eretz Yisrael, and he had a number of hours that he was going to the Kaisal. He had nothing else scheduled afterwards. Like he went, was able to like daven, and he just had nothing scheduled. So after davening, he sat down, and he just like was looking at the Kaisal. Like him sitting, looking at the Kaisal. And he was looking... And he was like, what thoughts come to my mind right now? And the thought that came to his mind right then was the words of Shema. Shema Yisrael, Shema Lekinu Hashem Echad. And he's like, so what does the word Echad mean? Echad means you're one. You say it every day, right? Hopefully twice a day, but whatever. No judgment, okay? So, right? So he says, Shema Yisrael, Shema Lekinu Hashem Echad. Okay? What does it mean to be Echad? It means one. What does one mean? Well, one means the good and the bad is all coming from the same source. So it's all achat, it's all one, okay? Achat means that the whole purpose of life is one purpose, achat, you, one Hashem, right? And he said he sat there, I believe he said for over six hours, okay, saying the word achat over 900 times, just cycling in his brain, like, achat, achat. You're, wow, you're achat, you're one. You're everything, not just one. Nothing else is really one. You're the only thing, right? Not, you have nothing like you. You're the only one, right? Put your brain to that right now. I'm saying you could think of 50 answers, right? 50, 50 shatim. And if you did enough digging, I'm sure you'll find it in the svarim. But besides the svarim, you'll find it in your heart. How you connect to the concept that Hashem is one. The yichud yisbarach, right? The concept that Hashem is one. And there's so many Muslim svarim written of this for thousands of years. We all say those words every day. And he he tapped into this idea, the idea that a person can walk around with the things that we quote unquote would think would be mundane. Oh, I, I say those words also. Oh yeah, I heard that shot also. Yeah, but if you heard that shot when you were in second grade and third grade and then that became your shot, it's still, your whole Yiddish guide is still. If your Haggadah is the same every time year after year after year, then it's, it's still, there's no Chiddush in there. I remember at Berkowitz, he once said that Rav Yashiv was known for a certain psak. A certain psak gave this psak year after year. Everybody knew this psak of, of Rav Yashiv. One day, Rav Yashiv is giving a share. And he comes to the sugya, goes through the sugya, and he says, Rav therefore, and he says, my psak is something else. I used to say A, and the halacha is B. So everybody in the room looked at each other and said, is it, did he did he did he lose it? Like is, is he losing it? Is he getting older? Everybody knows his psak is A. How did Rivaliashev say that his psak is B? Doesn't make any sense. The Svarim quote Rivaliashev is saying A. How did he say B? So after this year, somebody went over and said, Rebbe, everybody knows psak is A, it's not B. He says, Yeah, but I was ma'ayin again in the sugya, and I came up with a hetar. Lamaisa, the halacha is B. They're like, it doesn't make sense. It's it's A. 
the Svarim quote you as saying, hey, yeah, so Rabbi Berkowitz spoke about this, and he said, you, you, we all think that Rabbi Yashiv just chazered every day, and he just kept learning the same thing over and over and over. No, he was plumbing the depths of every Gemara, of every Maimar Chazal. He was going through it again. It was new. It was totally new to him. And now he came up with a new Chiddush. It was like an excitement by him. Oh, I found the Heter. After 90 years of learning the same thing, I found the Heter. I think I mentioned this to you once, a story. I don't want to go through the whole story, but I once was talking to Rabbi Rav Yosef Efrati, which is his, his Gabbai, the Rav of Arzei Abira. And I mentioned a, a Shach to him. Shach is on the side of the Shulchan Arach. And he said, he said, oh, Rav Eliashev learned that shach over 600 times. 600 times to learn one shach. It wasn't one shach, it was every shach. You understand? We think he just memorized it. And he, I know this book, I read this book already. It's like Harry Potter. Like, I read this so many times, I could tell you all the spells. No, it wasn't just words. There's a video of Rav Eliashev learning. Somebody hid it in his house. And you, you watch him learn a Gemara. When he was older, he's sitting there and he goes, ah, vaya, so, so what do you answer, Rava? Aha, so Rava, you're saying this. And it was a conversation. It was literally coming alive. He wasn't memorizing words. It was a new time. It was a new Hitzchachas every time he opened the Gemara. We're not sitting and learning. I don't expect you to pull out a Gemara and start learning. The concept of doing a mitzvah with a certain newness, it's Purim, it's Pesach. It's not like, where do I have my Suda? Okay, I did my Suda. Okay, it was Yaitza here. This is Kansas of Yainim. Okay, here, Mietzah this. Okay, can we switch? You give this. Good. Check, check, check. Oh, I have to hear Megillah. Okay, I'll go, go to Megillah. There's no, there's no Tom. There's no Lave. There's no nothing. A, a mitzvah, the things that we have in our life, they have to be done with a certain amount of putting our mind to it. And if you do it, it just brings it alive. It makes it alive. I was once on a plane on almost Pesach, like Arab Arab Pesach, flying to a Pesach program in Arizona. And they sat me not with my family. So I was like, oh. And I sat down next to this old couple. I'm joking. I love my family. But, <laughs> but, but um, you know, it, it was a long flight. Anyways, and I was sitting, sitting down next to this couple. Totally did not look Jewish. And the guy says, hey, so where are you going? And I was like, Arizona, you know, like, we're up, push it, right? Like, where are you going? So he said, he said, oh, you're going for Passover? I was like, yeah. And, you know, he's like bageling me. So I said, oh, and what about you? He says, yeah, I've been going to Arizona for, for Passover since the 1970s. I said, really? The 1970s? Is like close to 50 years. He said, yeah. Every year. He didn't say these words, but he said, come what may, my family, or my children, grandchildren, everybody, we all get together. And we, I make them come to Arizona and we celebrate Passover. So we were talking and this guy totally did not look Jewish. He looked like an older guy. We were talking and, you know, it was a long flight and I didn't have my kids with me. So I was like, okay, let's schmooze. And it turns out this guy does not really keep anything. Doesn't keep anything. He doesn't, he doesn't keep anything. I don't know how old he was. I'm assuming like mid to high 80s. But, and he's telling me all the stories about his his temple, where for the minion they count women and children, like they they have like their own version of let's call it a Yiddishkeit, okay? Like it doesn't keep anything. But Pesach, he's Makvid Yarg Valyavar. And he was telling me about when he was in the war. I don't know which war he was talking about, when he was in the war, that he was on a boat and the boat was going to Japan. 
And he said, he realized that it was coming close to Pesach. So he told the commanding officer, by the way, it's getting close to Passover. Tonight, or whenever it is, tomorrow night, um, all the Jewish soldiers have to be invited and we have to sit down to a Pesach Seder. So the guy said, you're on a boat, middle of a war. What are you talking about? He said, no, we need to have Passover Seder. I'm going to lead it. Gave him the whole thing. The guy's like, it's not happening. If you've ever been on a boat, it's not like very conducive for a Seder. So the guy said, listen, I looked through the boat and I found this room on the top deck that has these like very comfortable chairs. And that's the room that we want to use. And the guy said, that room is the officer's lounge. That's not for you, 18-year-old guy. Like, you're not using this for the Pesach Seder. And he threw a whole fit. He said, I'm going to get you court-martialed. There's freedom of religion. We're Americans. He, like, threw a whole fit until the guy agreed and allowed him to have the Seder. And the more we're talking, he was telling me more and more stories about the times that he was so makhbed, even the hardest, like, tukufas of his life, that he had a Pesach Seder, and he made sure that he kept Pesach to, like, the fullest. So as we were getting close to our destination, I said, let me ask you a question. You're very clear that you don't keep anything, right? You know that your whole version of Yiddishkeit is like watered down, to say the least. What is it that makes you so passionate about, about Pesach? Tell me, what is it? So he, he started crying. He said, when I was six years old, my mother died. And he said, I remember every single year leading up to Pesach, she used to sing and dance around the kitchen. Cleaning for Pesach, she was just so happy. She would swing, she would sing, she would be dancing around the kitchen. He said, she died when I was six. I don't remember her. And that's part of like why the family, you know, didn't keep whatever they kept. He said, but Pesach to me is just total simcha. And my grandkids, they're going to know that. It was like, whoa, you don't hop the, the, the energy that you put into a home when you're, when you're, this woman... This woman, I don't believe, was trying to change her son or impact her son. It was just with, this is how I clean for Pesach. I think most people could relate to the fact that Pesach is stressful. You know, that's how we relate to the Yantif. It's stressful. It's Arab Pesach. I mean, it's like six months before. It's Arab Pesach. Nobody go upstairs, right? This woman, without even realizing it, infused her child with Chavivas HaMitzvah. The concept of like, Zman Cherusenu. The concept of like, we're connected to Hashem. That the Seder to this man is more chaviv than to most people who live in the most religious communities. He looks forward to it every year. He pays thousands of dollars for his family to fly out. I asked him why Arizona. He says, what do you mean? They have the desert. We left the desert, right? They have the weather. He was like so pumped. This was like his, 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 like, his life was living for Pesach. Unfortunately, so many of us, we go through the motions and we do what we got to do. And then we finish and go, ah. Oh, Okay, we're finished. We got through it. We could breathe a sigh of relief. We're almost looking to be done with it rather than to begin it and savor each moment of being able to have it. We have Shabbos every week to savor each moment of Shabbos. We have our parents who are alive, our grandparents, our husbands, our wives, our children. I mean, we have so many things in our life that's just toy, that's good. And we go through those motions of, I have to. I have to spend time with this person have to call this person. I can't do this. I can't be on my phone. I got to put it away. It's it's done with such a heaviness. And I think that this concept is about is about shifting that. My wife reminded me of a story of a yeshiva that had two stellar, stellar boys in elementary school. Stellar. And it was one PTA where the mother came to the PTA and the Manal called over the mother and asked her, like, what's your what's your secret to success? 
your kids are the top kids in the school, like fifth grade and sixth grade. What's your secret? And the mother said, the truth is, is that I'm a gyrus, and I know that my kids are going to have to go through a gyrus when they become bar mitzvah. And therefore, I make sure that when they hit bar mitzvah, it's not even going to be a suffix in their brain that they want to stay as yidim. So everything I do is done with this awareness that I'm passing on the Messiah to these kids. And they're going to, of course, what's the Shiloh? It's not even a question. Now, how many of us were confronted? I'm sure you've heard the question, like, if you were just told that you're not Jewish, right? And you had a few days to think about it, what would you do? And so many of us, the answer would be, <laughs> I mean, where's, let me start the list, right? I'm saying I have so many things I wouldn't do. But, but the concept that somebody lives, like, what would I do? What do you mean, what would I do? I would be, I would be devastated. What would I do? That idea, I think, is just so important uh, for a person to, to think through. And it was interesting because this past Shabbos in our shul, they had a guy speak. He was a Ger Tzedek. And he actually is a great, 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 great grandchild. I don't know if there's Yichas by a guy, but he's a great, great grandchild of President Taylor. Okay, so President Taylor has a great, 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 great grandchild who learned in yeshiva in B'nai Brak. And this man has, has uh, a family. And he came to our shul and he spoke. And he said a bunch of stories. They were very, they were very cute. He has a, a really great sense of humor. Mamash looks like Yerushalmi Yid, but he's he's a gar. And he said certain things which were which were really interesting. One of the things that he said that was funny was that before he became a gar, so he didn't want he was learning in yeshiva, but he didn't want the yeshiva to know that he wasn't Jewish, didn't have his gerus yet. So he figured like he needs to approach us, but he was already like a top Talmud, but he was not Jewish. He was just studying in yeshiva. So he didn't know what to do. So his parents were coming to yeshiva to visit because they heard that he's in some sort of higher institution. So they said, we're coming to visit the yeshiva. So he said, oh, the gig is up. They're going to walk in. They're two gayim. Right? So he didn't know what to do. This is the yeshiva in B'nai Brak. So he went to the rest yeshiva before. He said, I want you to know my parents are coming. And I just want you to know that they're, they're not Jewish. Um, but it's not a big deal because I'm adopted. So the, so the rest yeshiva said, well, who are your birth parents? So he said, the truth is, I'm not really sure. So he said, well, maybe you want to undergo like a Geras L'Chomra. He said, okay, if that's what you want, like, okay, we'll do it. So they, they did a Geras, right? And they did a Geras L'Chomra. And then, and then afterwards, he, his parents came, they met, okay? Nobody mentioned anything that he was adopted, obviously. You know, that's not, you know, socially okay. Um, and then he was like, okay, so I got my Geras and I'm good to go. But then he, he came up with a Shaila, which was, maybe the Bezdin thinks they're only doing this L'chumra. So they're not doing the full due diligence. So he asked the Shaila, and he was told that he, he should do another one, just to double check. So he did another Geras also. So he went to Remich Yehuda Lefkowitz, and he told him the story, and he said to Remich Yehuda, you know, I, uh, I feel kind of bad with what happened. I sort of tricked my Rosh Hashiva. I told him that I was, I was adopted. So Remich Yehuda said, no, that wasn't you. That was a guy. <laughs> so that was that was like one of his stories but he said which I thought was very interesting and I think it's a reminder that we all have to remember every single day he said that he what what prompted him to go down this path he said he said he grew up every day just realizing that there was just no purpose in life and he said there has to be a structure there has to be a reason to get up in the morning there there has to be something more than what I currently have and he said the following words, which I, I, I took very dear to my heart. He said, 
we all know that there's people, many people, especially in the early 1900s, they used to say that it's it's fair to design a yid. He said, only a yid could say that. If you were ever a guy, you would know that the reality of a guy's life is a shvert design a guy. He said, no guy says that. But when you live with no structure, there's no, it's so empty. And the muscle he gave us, he said, imagine you go on vacation and you, you go to Florida, right? It's midwinter now, right? You go to Florida. The first day, it's like very gishmak. The second day, it's very gishmak. After a week, you're like, okay, I think I could get back to my regular life, right? But imagine you are forced to live there. You're just forced to live there, not just in Florida. Like you're you're forced to live on vacation, just you and the sand and the water. After like a month, you you start pulling your hair out. You're like, where's my life? Where's my meaning? Where's my structure? Where's my everything? So he said when he when he looked into into Judaism, what struck him so much was the concept that we have a structure to putting on our shoes. You have a structure to putting on your shoes, the right and then the left, and then you tie the left, you tie the right. He was like, whoa, this is this is MS Lamitai. This has to be the truth because there's a structure to everything that we do. Most of us think like, okay, I have to put on my shoe, right? I have to do this, right? And he's like, no, you don't hop. That is exactly what's giving you meaning. You get, you get hard just for putting on your shoes in the morning. You put on your shirt, you put on the right, you take a shower, you wash your head first. Everything has a way to do things. Everything has what you should do, what you shouldn't do. If we embrace that, if we love that, it becomes a real relationship. It fills you up with something. And the challenge that I would just throw out there is to take anything, literally it could be a few seconds, a few seconds a day where you just put thought and meaning and just smile because you're doing this thing that connects you to Hashem. And the last thing I'll just share, which is very, very, you know, the end, end, end of this is I think that once you have that relationship, then even when things don't go your way, you still have the relationship. The relationship is not, oh, so I, I have everything because I have this relationship. So to, all of a sudden, my life is going to be filled up with exactly what I want. You realize that a relationship connects you to the inside. And Hashem has his time for everything. Hashem has his place for everything. Hashem has his reasons for everything. There's a much bigger picture to what we experience down here. So if you if you understand that, if the relationship is not just, well, I have a Muna because I was told to have a Muna, which is, of course, the basis of a Muna. The concept of Amuna is a Messiah, of course, it comes from Harsinai. But if it's real to you every day, if the things that you do every day connect you to that feeling, so then even when you're down, even when you're disappointed, something doesn't go your way, you still have some thought. It's still a message. Even when something hurts, it hurts, but who gave it to you? We're, we're Yidin, right? When something doesn't go right, Baruch, Dayana, Emes. The first thing we say is Baruch, Dayana, Emes, right? This came from Hashem, he's the Dayan HaEmes. He's the Dayan. He caused this. And there's this is Emma's. This is there's a purpose to this. It, it, it just channels everything that we have going on in our life towards that relationship. And at the end of the day, Simcha Shal Mitzvah is all about that relationship. And if a person internalizes that, then their whole life, their whole Yiddishkeit becomes alive. And if you don't, even if you go through your entire life checking off all the boxes of Yiddishkeit, at the end of the day, it's very, very still. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.